So, so like I said, this evening we're going to explore our relationship with aversion in, um, in a way where I'd like us to really do a lot of inquiry around, around this topic. And uh, what that is will become more clear in a moment. Uh, but first, maybe what would be helpful is for me to talk a little bit about what aversion is. It's not an uncommon word. It's something um, that sometimes we use um, in our day-to-day. But in the Buddhist practice, this word has a very special place in our understanding of what produces our suffering, our stress, our discomfort, uh, unhappiness. So this is an important word and an important topic for us to really go into and better understand. So different ways that we can define aversion... Uh, one way would be to say a wanting to be separate from someone or something, some experience, wanting to be separate, wanting uh, experience to be other than it is, or wanting someone to be other than they are, including ourselves. So there's a sense with aversion of pushing away what's happening. And it can even have that somatic experience of actually pushing away this feeling of wanting to get away. So it might be actually quite aggressive pushing away. It might be more of a turning away from what's happening, not even wanting to look at it, denying it. In the Pali language, this word aversion, uh, what I found in in the suttas, uh, which I'm not a Pali scholar, I'm not a sutta scholar, um, so there might be more to this than what I'm sharing, but what I found uh, in the Pali language, and we've heard this before if you've you've come here regularly, that a lot of the words um, in Pali, we have a hard time translating into a single word of English. Our language doesn't quite meet the uh, vocabulary and the experience that the vocabulary is is touching upon in Pali. And so it gets a bit tricky and complex when we are um, translating words from Pali to English. So in Pali, they have this word dosa, which is often what's translated into aversion, But it can also be translated to aggression, anger, hatred, hostility. So I think that's actually um, something important to keep in mind when we talk about aversion, that, that there are these qualities within aversion that... Um really are imbued with this ill will. That there's this, there is a root of, of hatred or anger, dislike. Uh, so that's important for us to hold that in this context. Another Pali word, vayapada, which is often the word used when talking about the hindrances, the things, the aspects of our mind that hinder us from uh, seeing how things really are. And aversion is one of those mind states. And so this word, vayapada, uh, is often uh, more accurately translated directly to ill will. So ill will, aversion, not wanting, pushing away. So it's not just casual. There's actually something quite aggressive about aversion. Whether we are feeling it in that moment or not, it's something for us to really notice. So... 
what I'd like us to do is first get in touch with how aversion is taking place in our life right now. And to do this, I'd like you to take a moment to think about uh, what are you, what are you resisting in your life right now? What's happening in your life that you are feeling a lot of resistance to? So take a moment to think about it. And maybe it's really obvious. Maybe you're going through something really difficult that you just don't want to be happening. Maybe it's something more subtle. Maybe it was something even in this last sit that was uh, something that you were hoping would go away or just wouldn't be there anymore. Okay. We're going to explore this a little further. If you're willing, I'd like you to turn to just one other person next to you. You don't have to know them. In fact, sometimes it's nice to turn towards someone you don't know. And I'd like you to share a little bit. You can take some time to go back and forth about what you are feeling uh, averse to right now in your life. How is this showing up in your life? And we'll just take some time to do this. If this is... If you're feeling aversion to this exercise, (laughs) which I know that certainly can be a possibility, um, you always have a choice (laughs) to participate or not participate, Um, but you might just use that as your uh, inquiry as you start to look at how is this showing up in your life? Does it get in the way of certain interactions? Um, So I'll leave that up to you. There's no judgment here. Totally um, your call. But uh, if you are willing, why don't you turn towards somebody next to you and um, uh, each of you can just take about two minutes to share what it is that um, is coming up for you around this topic. How is aversion showing up in your life right now or what are you resisting in your life right now? Is that clear? Okay. I'll ring the bell to tell you to to come back. Okay. Okay. So I'd love to hear some of what you came up with. Oh, good. Thank you. What are you, what are you resisting right now in, la- in your life? Sounded like there was quite a bit. <laughs> right here, yeah. Is it, how's it working? Oh, you know what? We might need battery. That's okay. Why don't you say it and I'll, um, I'll, I'll repeat it back. It's, it's, I'll repeat it just because it's being recorded and there's some people who um, need that for, for hearing. Yeah. And I... <laughs> Excellent, on the air. And I... Um, uh, my relationship to that experience as it comes up is very much one of trying to escape it and um uh and and i do that in much healthier ways than i used to i i you know i try to find the next spiritual answer to my suffering um but it's still sort of this relationship based around aversion yeah great i bet that's very relatable so i'll just repeat the beginning part um and i'm just going to shorten what you said but the essence of what you were saying, it seems, correct me if I miss something, uh, was just really you're, in, you're seeing the dukkha, the suffering in the world. And there's a lot of anger and aversion coming up in response to it. Yeah. Very relatable. Okay. What else? Yeah. Um, when I was thinking about what's up for me right now, um, I connected aversion with lack of control and impatience. Mm-hmm. Um, currently going through a career change, 
uh, moving from being an educator in an academic environment into a nonprofit uh, NGO environment. And there is a lot of waiting that I need to do, and there is a lot of patience that I need to exercise on a daily and weekly basis. And what I find myself doing is that the waiting is really hard for me, yeah. you know, and um, the restlessness comes up. I even avoid my meditation practice sometimes because in my meditation, when I sit, I get to get acquainted with that energy mm-hmm. of not wanting to wait. Mm-hmm. Let's get it over with, that type of feeling. So, um, and that's, I think that's really a thread in my life that over, over the years that I have really made some progress with is the ability to sit with um, the knowledge that I am not in control right now yeah. and I do what I can do and I can put the focus somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But the energy of restlessness is there and the aversion to it is definitely there. This is... Very uncomfortable, but great noticing. <laughs> okay, so impatience, the restlessness. What else? Uh, any of the, the women in the room want to share? Great, thank you. So I, I was saying to uh, I was saying earlier in our uh, conversation that uh, whenever I bother to uh, or happen to notice uh, and check on what's happening in my mind, I do find that aversion is always present. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, for example, there's aversion to feeling a little cold, aversion to some smell, aversion Uh to the way my pants fit while I sit on the floor. And... Uh uh, um, yeah, aversion to small aches all over the body. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> and that seems uh, to be a constant. Whenever I check on on my body, uh-huh. the body is always somewhat uncomfortable. Yeah. Like some and there is aversion to that. Yes. Yes. I see a lot of heads nodding. <laughs> uh huh. Can be such a common day to day experience. Okay, anything else? Okay. Probably lots of other things, but we'll we'll stop there for now. Um, yeah, so aversion is it's present. It's it's part of our experience as human beings. It's very human of us to experience aversion, isn't it? Why? Why is that? Why are we so averse to all of these different things? So this is a next level of inquiry. So first we're just recognizing that this is here. This is present. This happens. Why is that? Let's get curious about it. Curiosity actually can be a wonderful way to greet our aversion. It, instead of us pushing it away we can actually turn towards it with this curious mind. Why? Why are we doing that? So why do you think we're doing it? Let's hear a couple of answers. Why do we have aversion? What is its purpose? Maybe we've never thought of it in this way. It just seems so normal. We take it for granted. Yes. I, I think... We um, gather and grasp comfort, mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Um, my aversion was to planning the future estate, seeing an attorney, sitting down and answering some hard questions. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to be in that discomfort. Everything in us, right, says, get that away from me, or let's go do something else, or ignore it, right? And yet there, 
discomfort is a part of life. (laughs) But we have this natural reaction, it seems, or learned reaction, habitual reaction to it, to discomfort. Okay, so it could be said that it's a protection against our discomfort, right? The things that are uncomfortable. Okay. Another way for discomfort might be unpleasant. So uh, for those of you familiar with Vedana, uh, the practice of Vedana, Vedana being um, uh, sometimes translated to feeling tone, but really what it is is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, somewhere that's more neutral in the middle of those two ends of the spectrum. Unpleasant, get rid of it, get it away, or fix it so it's not there anymore, right? We have uh, this added reaction to it, okay? So it might be to protect us from unpleasant. What else? Why, Why does this exist? Why do we do this? I think because we're afraid to be found out. Aha, uh-huh. what does that mean? Well, you know, when I think about, you know, my students or when I think about myself, I think we, I try to avoid things where I am not going to look terrible. Uh huh. So to be found out as a fraud or less than, less than great is something that is common for humans. We avoid places and situations where we're not going to be embarrassed. We're not going to lose face. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we are attracted to situations, we are actually can do well and be respected. Yes. So I think the fear of being perceived as not good enough mm-hmm. is, is a driver for avoiding um, yeah. a lot of discomfort. Yeah. And I know it's true for me. Mm-hmm. So I just have to dive in sometimes. Right. Yeah, that's a great um, I think that uh, this preserving of self, this not only self-image in respect to other people, but also our own idea of who we are. How often does it happen when someone pokes at that uh, sense of self? You know, I am this really good person and this other person's telling me I'm not. What's our reaction to it? Is it of acceptance and openness and connection? Or do we just, oh, I don't even want to hear it, and that person's nuts, and I don't, you know. We, we can often either just turn away, have that aversion reaction of just turning away, not wanting to deal with it, or even get quite hostile to protect the sense of who we are, right? Oh, so our selfing might be involved here in a big way. Okay, so to protect us also from the things that we're afraid of. You said that as well. We're driven so much by what we're afraid of, aren't we? And we think that we can protect ourselves from this fear, which often dwindles down to the fear of the unknown or the fear of uh, sickness, old age, and death the fear of uh, losing the sense of self, the fear of change. And we have it in our mind for some reason. It seems intuitive that if we can push it away or make it some way other than it is, that we'll be protected by that that we're afraid of, or even from the fear itself, to protect ourselves from the fear itself when actually all it does is agitate and create the conditions for more fear. We become more fearful. So in a way, sometimes what we're asked to do in this practice is so counterintuitive. Because maybe it's even at a primal level, we have this idea that if we can protect ourselves and push it away and make it not how it is, then we are somehow going to beat that thing that we're afraid of. Change, self, sickness, old age, death. 
I'm sure there's many other things that fit within that list. But it's just not true. And maybe we get that intellectually or even on a deeper level. But there's something really rooted in us that believes otherwise, huh? And it, root, it, it drives us often. I think also um, this, you know, this question of why do we do that? Why do we uh, respond with aversion? Sometimes it's just habit, isn't it? It's just how we've always done it. You know, think of something in your life that just really pushes your button. And perhaps it's something that you've just haven't liked from as long as you can remember. And it's just your reaction to this particular stimulus. Sometimes it's just such a deep habit of mind. We don't even realize that we're doing it. It's a certain way that somebody does something. You know, they don't put the toilet roll on correctly or... (laughs) Or, you know... I don't have another. I guess that's mine. (laughs) But we all have our thing, right? That just kind of gets us. It rubs us the wrong way. And maybe we're not aggressive about it. Maybe we are. Maybe we really care about how that toilet roll is put on correctly. But maybe it's more internal, just this little, uh, you know, they're always doing it wrong. Or don't they know how to do it right? Somehow it's, somehow it's an attack on us in this very subtle way. We take it very personal against this sense of self. We have a relationship with it in a way that we are habitually responding with aversion. So it can be this very deep uh, habit that goes quite unnoticed a lot of the time. At the, the heart of this, of course... Of our, of our aversion is our delusion, our ignorance, our not seeing things clearly how they are, how things actually are. And so if we pull back and see the bigger picture, uh, that, is, that is what it comes to. It's just not quite seeing things correctly, having wrong view, not seeing things clearly. Okay, so we're looking at why do we do this? How about another question? Is it ever a good thing to have aversion? Think about that for a moment. I ask myself this quite honestly. I know what the Buddha says about this, but um, sometimes in my experience, it feels like a really good thing. (laughs) And so I took some time as I was exploring this topic this week to really ask myself that. In a very honest question, or in a very honest way, how how is this a good thing to have aversion? Is it is it ever a good thing? What's what do I think about that? You know, the wonderful thing about this practice and then this tradition is that the Buddha asks us to really see for ourselves and not just take his word on it to to make an inquiry into our understanding, our experience. What what is actually there? And so we can do that with this theme. So what do you think? Is it ever a good thing? Yes. I wouldn't say that aversion is a good thing, but I think that there have been times in my life when um, I needed to um, just go a little more slowly with facing what was really happening. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe that was a slight part, you know, aversive. I mean, actually, some grief. I was going, you know, deep grief. And, you know, I couldn't just let it all in. I would, like, yeah. fall apart. So, I mean, I know that James, he says, you know, he's talked about titrate, the uh-huh. dukkha, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that really... Um, help me a lot. So I think in that way, um, you know, being kind of adverse sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. can be helpful. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it, it helps slow it down a little bit. You know, so the sense of if I just opened to it all right away, it would just be too much for the psyche. 
I think that's true sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a natural way of protecting the self, protecting our understanding a little bit, and then we can titrate that to see deeper and more clearly, but over time. Oh, that's a really nice reflection. Yeah. When else is it helpful? Yes. I'll just wait for the mic. Thank you. I think at a basic survival level, like... Put a little closer. Thank at you. a basic survival level, like, uh-huh. you know, to protect myself from sticking my hand in a flame... Uh-huh. Um, because I don't want that experience, and that'll keep me alive. I guess it's useful in that way. Mm-hmm. But the more I see and think uh, or ex- watch what I'm doing, I feel I take that little use of it and extend it way too much into too many other things. Uh-huh. Or mild discomforts are exaggerated as something I need to get away from. And anything that happens is yeah, just too much use of that little good thing yeah. that it's useful for. This is great to notice. So, you know, so t- to go back to the very beginning of what you were saying, the example of, you know, it keeps you from harming yourself because you're averse to pain. So maybe aversion can help us stay safe um, in some respect. And... Uh, something that um, we, we, I think we know if we're paying attention closely and certainly what the Buddha taught was that when we nourish those roots of aversion it nourishes more aversion. <laughs> it doesn't nourish uh, uh, tranquility or equanimity uh, it doesn't nourish happiness. It doesn't nourish insight and clarity. It nourishes more aversion, right? And so we can start to see how it pops up and, and shows up in other ways that aren't so helpful. One of the things I was reflecting on, because I was thinking of that too, um, you know, maybe it keeps me out of trouble. Maybe it also brings us to practice, Maybe we're just so averse to the way things are uh, uh, in our life, in our mind. We're just sick of it, right? I had a teacher once who, who said, you have to be completely sick of the mind and then come and practice. Just be done with it, fed up with it. Uh, and so sometimes that's a stage in practice where we're just, we're just disgusted with it. We're just done with with all of this dukkha. Um, and so maybe it's what brings us here. And then we learn to, to slowly uproot that aversion and have that experience. Can we have all of these experiences in which we've been, ex- been relating to it with our, aver- with our aversion? Can we remove the aversion, that wanting to be separate? Can we remove that? And what happens when we remove it? That wanting to be separate from. So all of those ways in which aversion is perhaps protecting us in the beginning, it becomes kind of like an old map to how we do things as we go deeper and deeper into this practice. Perhaps it's helpful at some point. Perhaps it's a crucial part of our path towards awakening. But it becomes limited. It becomes something that isn't so helpful in a lot of other situations. We start to see that. And we start to see that as we see more clearly how things are, it's not necessary anymore. It's an old map of how we're doing something. What if we removed the wanting to be separate from What would that look like? How would we relate to those same exact experiences in that way? So it might be aversion to uh, the dukkha in the world and just feeling overwhelmed by it, just feeling surrounded by it, helpless to it even. And so there's this aversion that comes into contact. 
What would it look like if we removed the aversion and stayed in contact with the suffering of the world? What would it look like if we removed the aversion from our impatience? What would it look like to remove our aversion to uh, how we were feeling sitting here or you know, to the myriad of thoughts that are going through our mind. If we were no longer wanting to be separate or change or have it be different, what would that be like? When we are responding through aversion, even when it's to protect ourselves, and sometimes it does seem right, right? We, feel, we can feel really justified with our aversion, with our aggression, with our pushing away. This person deserves it, or I need to push away. Sometimes maybe there's a little grain of truth in there. And that grain of truth can then seem so justified and we focus on just that little grain of truth, don't we? To justify our actions, our thoughts, our words. It's really quite amazing how warped our sense of right and wrong can suddenly be when we feel threatened. Whether it's our physical body, whether it's our mental state, whether it's just our sense of self is threatened. And this is really natural. This is not, I'm not saying this in any way to to make anyone feel bad or like you're doing this all wrong, but simply to point out that this is something we do. This is a very human thing to do. It's why we have to train ourselves to start seeing things in a different way. And so this justification Uh, on how we're seeing the world, uh, we start to see the world through that justification. Boy, are we seeing this right now. Not more than ever, but it's certainly highlighted in the news right now. In social justice, what's happening uh, to our... What is happening right now, actually, to your sense of self? in terms of uh, being a minority or a majority, what that even means anymore. Your sense of self in terms of uh, sexuality or gender choice. Maybe it's more economics and whether you're feeling provided for uh, through your community through this society, or not? Are you supported to thrive? So, so much of this right now is, I think, certainly up for me as I listen to the news and uh, I'm following what's going on and then touch in with, what does this say about me? How does this either threaten my sense of self, being really honest about it, getting in touch with, For example, my own privilege. How does this touch into my sense of privilege? How am I seeing the world in this way where I have to protect this sense of privilege when that privilege is called upon or called out or shaken? What do I do? Do I respond with openness or do I respond with, whoa, that's way too much? It was fine when it was happening over here, but now it's in my house. So we can use this exploration of looking, where where am I wanting to be separate and untouched by what's going on in the world? What if I removed that need to be separate? How would I relate to myself? How would I relate to other people in this world and what's happening? in current events. So all of this is relative. And of course, in order to uh, prevent ourselves from creating more aversion, 
more ill will, more hatred. We ha- can't do it by, cre- by feeling averse and pushing back on that aversion and hatred. So Martin Luther King has his famous quote, hate fuels hate. Oh, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And the Buddha said almost the exact same thing. Hostilities aren't stilled through hostility regardless. Hostilities are stilled through non-hostility. This, an unending truth. So our aversion does not lead to freedom, even when it feels really justified, even when it seems like there's this grain of truth in how we're perceiving. It won't lead to more freedom, more happiness, more tranquility, more connection with others. We know this. We see this. We've seen it historically. We've seen it within ourselves. But we don't always believe it on a deep, deep level. So as I'm saying all this, uh, maybe we're getting the sense that aversion is bad. So is aversion bad? So I, I appreciated what you were saying about, uh, I think you said, I don't really see aversion as good. <laughs> good and bad. I think often um, we've been trained, right, from little kids uh, to see the world as good and bad and to, you know, put things into categories. We don't like gray area. <laughs> we would like some order, uh, don't we, in the way that we perceive the world. And uh, this could be useful, perhaps, when we're growing up, uh, as when we're kids. But as, but as adults... Um, We need to look a little more closely at this. And certainly in this practice, uh, we are working in the gray a lot of the time. And so good and bad might be terms to just throw out. And one reason for that, as we start to label and have this view around aversion, we can easily start to develop aversion to our aversion especially in a spiritual community. We get the sense that we are supposed to be a certain way or we're supposed to be experiencing all of this in a certain way. I think that oftentimes this becomes a spiritual bypass. So when we ignore what's actually here in the present, even if it's something like ill will, even if it's aggression that's arising within ourselves, doesn't mean act on it, it means tend to it. Pay attention to it. Adding shame or covering it up with a more perhaps spiritually acceptable veneer (laughs) is not doing anybody any favors. It's just not real. It's not helpful. It's not what the Buddha taught. Spiritual bypass. Meaning, we're not actually penetrating to uh, the experience, the depth of the experience. We're not learning anything if we're not turning towards We're simply creating more aversion. And so if aversion right now is in your bad camp, this is something to notice. It came up in one of the shares, you know, just wanting to uh, not be there with the not wanting. So simple, so relatable. But... In this practice, we are asked to attend to these places of experience. We're asked to attend to the aversion, not push it away, not pretend it's not there, not to 
pad it with other things so that it looks better. When we sit down and our body's uncomfortable, our mind is going all over the place, uh, and we say to ourselves, I can't do this. I don't like doing this. I can't do it. It's just aversion. It's our opportunity, actually, to turn towards the things that are uncomfortable, the things that we don't really like to see. This is not easy to do. This is warrior practice. (laughs) We all have the capacity, though, to be these spiritual warriors as we sit here and turn towards what is it that's agitating us? What is it that we want to be separate from right now? What experience do we feel it should not be here? This is the practice. It's not just sitting there finding all the pleasantries or to pat ourselves in a way so that no discomfort will arise. It's not possible. (laughs) We live in these human bodies. (laughs) They will ache. (laughs) They will have pain. We have these minds that are so sensitive, so sensitive. It doesn't take much to get them going. And it's uncomfortable. But what's our relationship with that discomfort? If it's aversion, we turn to the aversion. We notice it. This is aversion. It's no longer paying attention to the discomfort. It's paying attention to the relationship to that discomfort, which is aversion. That becomes the object of our attention. What is it? Why am I doing it? Is it helpful right now? Is it not helpful right now? Getting curious about it. Getting the flavor of it. Really intimately getting to know these parts of ourselves that maybe we wish we didn't have. You know, Tara Brock talks about this radical acceptance. That's what we're doing. We're radically accepting these experiences, these experiences that are so human, they're arising and falling in each of us. It's not personal. And so we can turn towards it and we're asked to transform it, not to push it away, to transform. Transform something that was rooted before this aversion and making it into something that's not so based in self, not so based in our not understanding. Seeing what would be the possibility if I didn't want to be separate from this experience right now. What would that look like? So just a few practical pieces around working with aversion, and then we can open up to questions or comments. Uh, So much of this practice is actually designed to help us uh, turn towards and to attend to experiences such as aversion. Aversion, of course, is just one possibility (laughs) among many possibilities of what might arise in our mind. But so much of this practice is developed to help us free ourselves from this aversion and other hindering factors. And so the practice of concentration, uh, tranquility, it doesn't uproot the aversion, but it can pacify it in a way when we are able to hold it in this steady, tranquil way, we're not swayed by it so easily. And then our mindfulness practice, vipassana, insight practice, to see clearly, to start to really get to know this aversion so that it's not so tricky and covert anymore. We know it when we see it. And we're not going to be bullied by it anymore. It's not so sticky anymore. It doesn't have the power that it had 
once we get to know it, once we really see it and can name it, this is just a version. It's just a version. It's okay. The metta practice, the heart practice of loving kindness, not only can help pacify aversion, but cultivates its opposite. So we can actually cultivate the opposite of aversion, this openness, this ability to have friendliness to our experience. One of the ways we can translate metta is friendliness. The Eightfold Path of this practice. So we're cultivating the the practice piece, mindfulness, concentration, also our effort. Staying with, in this balanced way, with the things that really turn us off the things we really want to turn away from. It takes some effort to stay with it, especially in the beginning, especially if the aversion is really strong. It takes effort to stay there, a balanced effort to stay there. It takes a non-harming action. It takes cultivating wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood. It takes uh, wise understanding, wise view, just to see what it is. It takes wise intention to really understand it, to stay with it. All of these are parts of the Eightfold Path, the, the path of practice. All of this is available in this practice. So there's so many ways and so many tools to work with this. So what I'd like us to do is um, open it up for comments and questions. And I would especially love to hear if there's any questions around or comments around how to how you personally work with aversion. What are your tools? What are your practices? And then, of course, if there's any other questions or comments related to the theme, that's also welcome. I had a version this, this week. Uh, you did? I did. <laughs> I, 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 on one hand, I saw that some country indicted George Bush for war crimes. And then the next day, I saw my personal hero, the Dalai Lama, having cake with George Bush and laughing and smiling. Uh-huh. And I felt like I'd taken some really bad mushrooms. Oh. <laughs> I had real aversion to seeing my hero uh-huh. and the guy who's not my hero mm-hmm. having a human moment together. Yeah. Having fun, smiling. And yeah. I thought he should be in prison, not having cake with the Dalai Lama. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how did I deal with that? Just wonder. Just wonder. I, as you said earlier, I really have, I must be doing something wrong <laughs> and I need to change my perspective mm. and, and hold my breath till Thursday night. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at that. Actually, the wonder piece is, is there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of wisdom there. What's going on here? That's the inquiry piece coming in. And so from that place of wonder and that place of wisdom that's there that can actually hold this experience, is there anything else that comes up in, as a way to either hold this? What could this, what could be the larger picture here? Or, or is there a way to continue to work with it so that this root doesn't keep rooting itself in? Right, because I can hear it. It's still there, isn't it? It's just like that oh, yeah. little there. rub, right? Okay. So, is there anything in your own wisdom that comes up around this? The only thing I can lean on is having trust in, like the Dalai Lama, thinking, well, he must, he must have a broader perspective than I do, mm. and I just have to 
have a little faith uh-huh. and not not hold my judgment so tightly. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom there. So now you have a choice. You have the wisdom and you have the aversion and it'll be your choice which one you want to nourish, to grow. And you might choose the aversion sometimes. It's a tough choice. <laughs> it's a tough choice. And it is, actually. It's a really honest and really honest response because sometimes, right, we feel like this is much more justified, right? Yeah. And yet, it's at the expense of what? Our happiness, our ease, our connection, right? Equanimity. Our equanimity. Okay. Beautiful, thank you. Okay, right up in front. Uh, so my, my whole life I've had this relationship with these, um, these beings that uh, you, may, you may call them ghosts or whatever, um, either in the waking life or in the dream life. And uh, the only, recently, I've had a breakthrough. The only way that uh, I end up ever feeling good about it is is when, in the dream, I uh, there's a radical acceptance, mm. and I I give it a hug, and then everybody walks away feeling happy. So that's <laughs> that's that's a recent way how I've learned how to deal with it, and still. Um, I'm not always uh, mindful or attentive enough to be able to uh, overcome the aversion, but still sometimes, maybe like 25%, I'm able to give it a hug now. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And may that 20% grow. (laughs) So when we think of these... these, unwholesome states as, as uh, aversion is as being a root which is classically how it's described you know it can sometimes take a really long time to uproot it it does take a long time for most of us to uproot it and so just think of each time you're turning towards a hug rather than pushing away or aversion uh, it's just a chip at that that root, and it's something to be celebrated. Our minds, we are wired to look at all the ways that we're not doing it well. <laughs> and we forget to celebrate when we are actually coming from wisdom and understanding. And so to bring a lot of attention to that, that, that's, that, that 20% is really important. And when we give it that importance, then there's really a chance for it to grow in that direction rather than than in this aversive direction. So it's great. Um, this week I've been preoccupied with some of the events that have been happening in our country. Seem uh, specifically we've been getting a lot of coverage of the fact that a lot of the uh, nation's police forces are have people in them who have a lot of aversion to people of color and are liable to use violence against them. Some of my friends um, are afraid to to not respond to this with a lot of anger and aversion. I think they feel that if they aren't angry in their reaction that they're accepting of it. And I don't want to walk around being angry all the time, but I also want to know what is the uh, what you would say is a, an appropriate response or way to, to uh, look at this. Hmm. I've been asking myself that question as well. And I don't know uh, if this is the, the right response, but um, what I've come to conclude so far is that perhaps anger is the correct response. But can we remove our wanting to be separate from that anger? Is there a way to allow these emotions to arise to really be present and connected with the root of it without trying to push it away, push the experience away, 
push the situation away, push people away? Can we just be with the arising of our anger response to incredible injustice, uh, to the violence, to the prejudice? Uh, Perhaps that is the correct response or just the natural response to such events. Can we notice, too, that our responses are alive? How are we reacting in this moment to what's happening? That it's always changing. That if we hang on and identify with our anger in this situation and it becomes who we are in response to this, to, to whatever it is, whether it's what's happened in South Carolina, whether it's um, uh, the shootings of uh, black men in our communities, whether it's, um, you know, outward prejudice from uh, people in power, uh, people in the news, people in Hollywood, you know, when we hear and we see all of this, um, if we, we have our response, perhaps it's anger in this case, if we hold on to that and attach to it and make it part of this identity of self, is that helpful? Or can we allow it to be alive as everything else is, constantly moving and in flux and changing and so allowing it to arise and pass away. And it makes me think of um, an account of the Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama hearing uh, um, the, the Tibetan nuns speak about their situation, which um, has been quite impoverished and unsupported. And they were expressing this to the Dalai Lama Um, in a very heartfelt way, and he was really listening. And the account was, I wasn't there, but the account was that he actually cried. He had a welling of emotion that arose, and he allowed it to go through him, and it was the appropriate response to their situation. And yet, I imagine he didn't stay identified with that sadness but he allowed it to come up and come through instead of trying to hold it or push it down or make it something different. um, We are emotional beings. (laughs) We are emotional beings responding to our environment and to uh, events and situations. And, um, And so I think perhaps whatever that emotion is to really honor it, in that, in that moment. But be careful of how we, we identify and solidify around it. Allowing it to be alive in us, I think is perhaps a more healthy and more balanced and wise way of being with what's here. Okay, so we're at time. Um, but I really appreciate you... Uh, exploring this in maybe a perhaps different way than when we usually uh, explore things here. This idea of going into inquiry around a subject such as aversion. And I hope that you'll continue this inquiry, that you'll keep looking deeper on how this uh, particular aspect of our experience affects you from your day to day, especially in those places that perhaps are more subtle. Perhaps we're still a little ignorant to them. Or perhaps uh, a good place to start is just where it's right in your face. Can we work with that? So uh, we'll dedicate the merit, meaning we'll take a moment to acknowledge that um, this practice is, uh, it is for our benefit. We're here to uh, become more awake. Whether that's how we think of it or not, that's how I think of it. <laughs> I assume you're here not just to uh, sit on the chair or the cushion for <laughs> two hours, but you're here for a reason. And, uh, and so we come to benefit ourselves. 
But the truth is that this practice is not just for our own benefit. That it is for the benefit of the people we care about in our lives, the people we're closest to. It's for the people we interact with from day to day. It's for the people in our community whom we see and those whom go unnoticed by us. It's for the benefit of all beings everywhere. And that the goodness of this time together or the wholesomeness of this time together and cultivation has a ripple effect. And so may our practice and time together here be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings feel safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings have ease in their life. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.